Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. January 22nd, 2018, episode 43 of FMC Radio Today coming out, and uh, I want to get right into the content of today's episode, the interview that we have. Uh, just a few notes before we do that, because there is a lot of, a lot to cover here with Brett about the National Prayer Summit here in a few moments. Um, I did want to mention that you may notice a difference in the audio quality. I, I don't think it's anything horrible. Um, you will hear more of like an echoey sound um, when I'm talking and uh, maybe um, maybe a little less of a clarity on, on Brett's voice over the phone, but I, I think it's clear enough to hear from the parts of the interview that I've listened back to. Um, but I uh, actually recorded without having my microphone, which I normally have, which I'm using right now. So um, sorry for if there's any parts that may be uh, worse audio quality. Also, you'll hear in a moment um, somewhere within this uh, interview where I was recording inside my office at the church and the uh, lead pastor came and started banging on the door and uh, opening, trying to open the door. Um, he was like joking around like, I can't get the door open type thing. But then he kind of looked and was like, whoa, and like ran, you know, obviously left because he realized I was recording. <laughs> so you'll hear that at one point too. Um, but I, I figured before we get started... Um, I'm not going to do too much of an intro here, uh, but I figured we're talking in this second half all about you know prayer and not only the event, but we're also going to be talking about prayer in general. So I thought that to start out today um, would probably be a good idea to pray to open up this episode. So let's go ahead and do that now. Dear God, I just uh, thank you for those who are listening to this podcast that we're able to join in and learn different things and have these kinds of discussions about um, um, Yes, events that are coming up, but more importantly, um, the real issues that go on in the world and, and especially things like prayer and the hard questions that we're going to get to of, of why does sometimes prayer not seem to work and, and those types of things that we all have wondered at some point in our life. So we just pray that you'll be with us, um, that you will um, help us to uh, this week, whether we have people who are retired or in ministry or in a, in a job with other non-believers, wherever anybody is this week. Um, I just pray that you'll be with them, help them to uh, just make your name be known amongst each other and uh, amongst those who don't even know you, that uh, they would be able to um, bring others to you this week in the things that they say and the things that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're here today to talk to Brett Heinzman and... uh, we have talked on this show before about the National Prayer Summit. I kind of just mentioned it as an upcoming event and gave a few uh, um, details as far as I was aware, but I didn't know too much. So I decided, you know, it would be probably important uh, for us to have somebody on and uh, to talk about this and just discuss prayer in general as well. So we're going to do a little bit of that. But uh, Brett, I want to thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. It's really good to be with you, Josh. Thanks for the invitation. And I'm very glad and anxious to talk about the upcoming National Prayer Summit and just prayer in general in the church. Yeah, definitely. And and I want to start out with just uh, something I usually do um, because we have different people listening from all over the um, all over the nation. And so for someone who's never heard your name before, I want to know like a little bit about you personally first, just kind of your history and uh, what led you into this role. Um, you know, within the Free Methodist Church of, of planning this national prayer summit. So tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Glad to. So I, I grew up uh, kind of semi-related to the church, but not the Free Methodist Church. Um, I did uh, receive Christ as a young boy at the age of 13, and um, kind of on the outskirts of my family where that was concerned. So I really didn't grow up in a truly faith-based home. Um, there was a, a measure of talking about the things of God, but nothing, nothing deep. And uh, so I, I stayed in that church. It was a Church of God congregation in my local hometown um, until right around the age of 20. And um, after some journeys of life that, you know, kind of went in directions that I should not have went. 
Um, it was literally about 25 years ago, almost to the day, that I set foot in Harvest Chapel Free Methodist Church in Fredonia, New York. And I found a home not only in that local congregation, but more and more began to find a home in the Free Methodist Church. And served there uh, starting as a volunteer in the music department. Music's always been a passion of mine. I ultimately became the part-time worship pastor of that church and eventually throughout my, I think it was almost 15 and a half years at that church, uh, became uh, and became a conference ministerial candidate, was serving as an associate pastor at that church. So it was a, a little over uh, seven years ago, I was appointed to the Jamestown Free Methodist Church, and while I was there, was ordained as an elder, and pastored that church for seven years, and then uh, could sense that God was calling my life into a different area. And my wife and I discussed greatly what that should be, whether it was another church appointment, but he was calling us to uh, really minister in areas of prayer as like a home-based missionary. We weren't even sure what that looked like. Uh, we weren't sure there was a container in our denomination this could be put in, but we knew God was calling. And I was really grateful to Superintendent Pam Brayman in the Genesis Conference, which is where my appointment still is, uh, who helped us think creatively about what the future could look like. And so it was just uh, last July that we stepped out of our church around the 1st of July and into a home-based missions role where we are serving the Free Methodist Church in the area of the National Prayer Ministry. So we are missionaries who raise our support like other Free Methodist missionaries. And um, we had a vision of being able to travel and teach and equip churches. That's what I do a lot of. And um, it's, so my history in the Free Methodist Church is very rich. I love our home here in the Free Methodist Church. I love being a servant to the church, that's serving the Lord through this church. I believe in our, our holiness roots, and I'm passionate about preaching holiness. And I love this body of believers. I believe in our leadership. I love our pastors, our superintendents, our congregations. Um, so that's a little bit of history with us. So we, we found ourselves then having stepped into this role, not knowing what the future would hold. We're approached by Doug and Margie Newton, who are the co-directors of the National Prayer Ministry, near the end of July this last summer and said, hey, we, we were wondering if you and Barb would be willing to take on uh, the event coordination, both in the details and the pastoral kind of sense, for the National Prayer Summit, and we were excited to do so. It's a big job, especially the pastoral role requires, uh, you know, so many times as a pastor you think about hearing from God on behalf of a local congregation and then serving out of that and leading, and and it becomes that kind of role to the greater denomination, and so we were very humbled and challenged and yet very excited to take on this role, and that kind of brings us to today. So that's a, a little bit about us. That's great. And, and now, how many years, do you know how many years has it been since the last uh, prayer summit? I know some had gone on before. Right. There were, there's been two in the past. One okay. was in the year 2015. Okay. And one was in October of 2016. Okay. And the reason there wasn't one in 2017 is we, as looking forward to um, plan, a couple of questions were Doug and Margie were asking us and the other members of our leadership team, you know, do we want this to be based on the event? If the event isn't serving the need, um, then what else would serve the need? And so we really took an honest look at that. You know, are we just going to be about this annual event or is it accomplishing what we want it to? And then the other was, honestly, to coordinate with the bishop schedules. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, so it finally came down to February of this year, which I'm so excited because some people say, why would you put it in Michigan in the winter? But that area of Michigan is not a difficult place to travel in and out of. And uh, we already have, um, we're just about ready, if we haven't already, to tip over uh, the, the registration, the high registration mark from the last two, which was around 270. And we are very close to approaching 300 registrations at this point. So the people are coming. We believe it is serving the need. And uh, so that's why we planned it. And it took a little over a year to get to this one. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. And I, I was looking, um, you know, at some things on the website and kind of some, I, I've been able to look at some of the things that are going to be going on. So I know a little bit of an answer to this next question, but I was noticing on the website that uh, 
for this upcoming uh, prayer summit that it says it will be unlike any other. So we've had two other years. Um, now tell us what unique things are going to be happening this year that would set it apart from past years or, or other prayer summit type events. Absolutely. First of all, um, the very first one was to lay groundwork and to hear from God to also establish within the gathering that came, the mission and vision of the, of the National Prayer Ministry. Those two messages delivered by Doug Newton were so powerful, and they're still on our website. You can go and watch those two messages. The website is real easy. Think National Prayer Ministry Free Methodist Church. Think those initials, npmfmc.org. And when you go there, there's all kinds of resources, and one of those are those two videos. And they lay the groundwork for why intercession, why are we focusing on this part of prayer. So the first summit was really all about foundation building and encouraging the body toward more and deeper prayer. We began to talk about the second year and what the summit would look like, and we kept hearing from the Lord the word freedom. That people, they're in bondage to so many things. Um, if we're just honest, there's there's a lot of old religious baggage that we end up being in bondage to. There's personal uh, roadblocks, that things within us that need to be healed. And I found myself in the middle of the seminar I taught at the last summit saying these words. We've all heard the old phrase that hurt people hurt people. And they do. Yeah. If you're hurting, you're going to hurt someone. You, you get the idea. Here's the, here's the flip side of that. Free people, free people. And when you and I are living in bondage and don't have the freedom ourselves, likely we're not helping others find that freedom as well. And we really felt like the Lord was asking us to speak into that, to help set the church free so that in our own freedom we could seek others. And so all the teaching and everything was around that. And the Lord has done some really great things out of that. One of those things that came out of that was even my own personal work. I ended up, I didn't sit down and plan to do this, but out of my own personal story of healing from past bondage, have written a book um, mirroring the events of Israel from bondage in Egypt into the land of promise at Jericho and helping to set ourselves free. So then now leads to what makes this one different this year. Well, this year, now we are really ready to engage in intercession. We're ready to set forth not just thoughts, um, like here's some good things to think about praying or to go home and say, you know, that was a great event that we attended. We really want people to go home with a changed life, a determined motivation, and changed action that leads to more intercessory prayer, that leads to community transformation all throughout our denomination. You know, the statistics are pretty clear, Josh. You might have heard these, but I think we're at the place really soon where we can say that out of every 100 free Methodists in the world, only six of them are in the United States. Wow. That means that for every 100, and this is a denomination that started here on mm. our homeland, for every six, there's 94 elsewhere. And the church is exploding. There are other parts in the world um, where 25 years ago there were no congregations, and today there are 1,500. Wow, and it's yeah. growing like a weed. And, I, and we want to cry out to God, why not us? Why not now? Why are we not seeing the explosive growth in our homeland like the rest of the world is seeing? And they are, they are doing it under facing so much more pressure and persecution than we are. In our freedom, in our ease, we are not seeing it. So it is time, I believe, and this is why I'm so passionate about this summit, to call the church to tangible action. So we're going to do that a couple of ways. One is the, the three workshops that we're planning for Friday afternoon this year, and especially one of them, are geared toward more tangible action than we've ever done in the past. We've had people rotate through workshops on Friday before, talks on different subjects to receive information leading to revelation. But this year we've got three. Doug and Margie are going to teach the first. And it was their teaching at a J-term class in Indianapolis that turned my life in an entirely new direction. And so for anyone listening to this, if you feel like you just need to get a new baseline for passion and practice of prayer, like you feel you don't have the confidence or the competence, get registered and come to the prayer summit and go to Doug and Margie's Friday afternoon 
uh, teaching track called Choosing Mary's Place. They lead you into the scriptures in ways that I've never seen anyone else do, and you will feel that you'll be changed. You'll absolutely be changed, I can guarantee it. The second track is going to be led by a friend of mine who's Pastor Dr. John Pepo, who's lived in Monroe, Michigan, and pastored a church called Redeemer Fellowship Church. He's been there, I believe, for almost 30 years. Wonderful man, teaches and is is taught globally, and has devoted his entire life to actual praying. Not just saying we're going to pray, not saying a prayer in church on Sunday, but he regularly, his whole life is a rhythm of praying and determining that what happens in the church will come out of God's presence, it will come out of his answers in prayer, it will come out of his instructions and conversation, and that's the way this church has grown, and it's it's an amazing model for church where we have leaders and yet the Lord is in the lead. He is going to lead a track on Friday afternoon that really gets the people who are attending into that space. My life must be anchored in prayer. What is it going to take for me to be a transformed person so that my life is transformed, my praying is transformed, and then things are transformed because of my praying? And so he is going to be teaching that on Friday. The third one, and I've sat under this teaching before and this experience, and I've been blessed immensely, is a guy by the name of Steve Beaumont, who's one of the business pastors at Bethel Church in Redding, California, is coming to teach on community transformation. What he is bringing with him is one simple model, and that is when we pray so many times, and Josh, maybe you've experienced this or even done it, you go to pray for someone and the first thing you say is, how can I pray for you? What we're looking for is we're looking for words. In other words, you give us things that we can ask God for because otherwise I have no idea what to say. Well, you know, I think we could find another resource for words, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Steve comes to bring a message of, is basically to say, if we start with listening and then feel confident enough to give voice to what we hear God telling us, our prayers become so much more effective. Let me give you one story they told while I experienced Steve's teaching in Western New York. He said that um, they were ministering to a a business. All of these prayer uh, gatherings are prearranged None of them are forced. They're extremely polite. They're punctual. They simply call around the community and say, we have a group of people who'd love to come to your business or organization and pray for you. Um, Would you be welcome to a group of us doing this? We promise to be punctual. We promise not to overstay our welcome. You can tell us how long you have. We just want to bless you because we want your own personal life and the life of your business to flourish in our community. It's that simple. They go. They're punctual. They show up. And, but what they do is, instead of saying, how can we pray for you? Because think about this, Josh. Can a person laying in a hospital bed who's unconscious tell you how to pray for them? Right. Can yeah. a person with a really deep need that they don't even know, it's like the things that they don't know that they don't know that are the deep issues that are giving birth to the surface symptoms, can they tell you what their really deep need is and how to pray for them? No. Of course yeah. they can't. Who can the Holy Spirit can. We always start with words instead of our ears. And Steve's going to teach us to start with our ears. So he's going to teach on this. He's going to have people pray in groups for one another. They're in the room. And then here's the big thing that we've never done before. Groups of people, about 10 to a dozen, are going to go to places that we're working on arranging now throughout Spring Arbor and Jackson and pray for local businesses, organizations, and people where things have been set up in advance, appointments have been made, the welcome mat's already put out, and they're gonna go pray. And we're gonna put feet to this so that people have an experience to go home with. Once people have encountered the power of God, they will never turn from it. When I went with a group and prayed over a local organization, the chaplain there was really kind and he said, hey, I've got a list of things to pray for. <laughs> and Andy Mason, one of their other pastors, was with us in our group. He goes, no, 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 that's okay. You just hang on to the list. We just want to begin to pray and let's visit the list after we're done. When we were done, we asked him to pull up the list and we had prayed for at least 90% of the things on that list. Now, what happens in that moment is the faith of everyone is just elevated. You know, the people who had the list are like, how did you know? 
the people who are praying, it's like, oh my goodness, I can trust what God is saying to me. And there was this unbelievable experience that God was with us and came through and wanted to bless and his intent on seeing some of those things come to pass. So these, that's the kind of thing we're doing. Here's the other one. Here's the last one that's going to uh, really make a difference. And that is, we believe that there are a number of people in the Free Methodist Church already who are called to the deep work of intercessory prayer. I believe there are people in the church that God is regularly giving prophetic vision and insight both for the church and communities who carry, um, I, I've often called intercession prophetic burden carrying. It's like they've already received words and visions from the Lord, and now they're carrying this with them like the prophets of old. And I believe they're everywhere. I believe that they're scattered throughout our denomination and all over our country. So we are putting forth a call on Saturday before we depart for people to enlist in a national intercessors network. And we're going to be very intentional about this. You know, every church has their list of prayer needs. Some churches publish them, some voice them at a prayer meeting, some receive needs through cards. What I can tell you this will not be is a collection of all those requests. We know and believe and just understand that every local church has a group of praying people for those who are sick, for those who are in need, for those who are experiencing difficulty in life. Those prayers always go on. It's not going to be a massive collection of those. Think of a view from about 20,000 feet. Now we can see things that we can't see when we're down on the ground. We can see what's behind the corners we can't see around. We want to get God's vision from about 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 feet. The big issues for our communities, the big issues, the, the systemic ones that you think are too big to even bother asking God for because you're not sure it can turn it around. Those kind of issues. And we're going to collect what God is saying through his people from all over the nation and then distribute it via email back to the people who are praying. And we're just going to continue to work toward resources that will build this connection. We're hoping for things like a smartphone app or calling them together for gatherings, wherever that might be, regionally or across the whole nation. But we're going to put forth the call to the people we believe God already called and said, let's do this. Let's not just say, let's cancel something off our schedule. Let's make this a priority. Let's bring the intercessors together to do the work of intercession, no longer alone in the shadows, but together as an armed force, armed with the power of God, the love of God, the call of God, the, the authority of God, the, the name of Jesus. Let us call on God to do what only God can do to restore our communities. That is what's going to make this the most unique event. We're going to put some feet to what we've been saying now for two summits, and we're going to call people to not just come and hear some nice messages, but go home changed, go home determined to act differently, begin to intercede, rearrange their priorities, whatever it takes. The call is going out, and we're putting forth some structures to do it. So I know that's a long answer, but, man, I'm really excited about it, and I think it is going to be an event unlike any other. That's great. Now, uh, just real quick, uh, before I say what I was going to say next, just tell us the dates on it again. February 22nd, which is a Thursday, which um, check-in will start late in the afternoon, dinner's on your own, and the first service is 7 p.m. that evening. And it concludes just before lunch on Saturday, February 24th. Okay, and again, good. there's actually a, a schedule up on the website, as well as uh, bios of our speakers, and hotel information in the Jackson area and the registration form, all of that is up on the website at npmfmc.org. Okay, great. And I, I was going to say, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Um, in, in addition, what I was thinking of is, is um, when maybe not everybody, if somebody's been to an event like this before, they may know, um, they may have an idea of what to expect maybe, but if someone has just heard that name, that and say National Prayer Summit, they may think, um, okay, well, I go and, and it's a it's a time where everybody's praying, um, of course. But you may they may think that there wouldn't be need to be a lot of uh, planning put into something like that because oh well well it's easy you just go and you have some led prayer times in different ways or whatever. But actually, of course, as we've just heard, you know that's not the case. Really, uh, there's a lot of thought and a lot of um, time put into planning this. 
Um, and really, I mean, a big thing that I heard, you know, as you mentioned, uh, is the idea that, you know, a lot of times, once, once you get the idea of what's going to happen there, well, then you go, oh, okay, there's going to be speakers and all this. But what is going to be different here is you're not going to just be learning a lot of things to then go home and say, okay, well, I'll do that, you know, once I leave. There's actually these opportunities to do these things, learn, learn these things, even as that, uh, that uh, example of going into the community during like this breakout session, these types of things that you can, while you're there, you're actually doing them. Um, yeah. So this is going to be definitely different from um, a lot of different, you know, traditional just prayer meetings or, uh, you know, gatherings. Um, Absolutely. But just to add to that, too, so we're working in terms of three words. On Thursday evening, as we begin, we're going to work under the framework of envision. You know, we believe God has a vision. We talk about vision casting all the time, and most times what we what we end up doing is casting vision out of our, our human ideas. Well, this sounds like a good idea, and it does line up with what Jesus said. You know, we're going to decide to do this. And I don't. My greatest fear is is that we really don't consult the Lord enough. And this is in our own language. Um, one of our expected outcomes in Free Methodist congregations is to be prayer-saturated. And there are many different kinds of praying, but intercession especially is the role of the National Prayer Ministry. And the first thing, the first distinctive under that expected outcome of prayer-saturated is pray first, act second. And so we're just continuing to encourage people to do that. So Thursday is going to be about capturing a vision. You're going to have a a professionally printed, spiral-bound uh, notebook, putting your hand to follow through the entire prayer summit, places to journal, and there is going to be rhythms of teaching, praying, and this is why it's great to gather together. One is God does stuff when we're together, he doesn't do when we're apart, and number two is you've set aside time in a special place, you have consecrated time to listening to the Lord, and I'm confident he will speak to you. There's going to be places for you to jot down what is the vision God's giving me? What's he calling me to do? What's he calling our church to do? The second day is going to be all about equipping. And so we're going to equip you with things maybe different than you've ever had in your life. It's going to be building up the body of Christ. And then day, that third day on Saturday is engage. How do I engage when I go home? You know, not just to say this is a great event, and I'm confident it will be. And so the envisioning piece, the one thing I failed to mention is George Otis Jr. is going to be there. He's our keynote speaker, and he's going to speak Thursday night and Friday night. And he has traveled the world examining transformational revival and produced a series of videos through his company, The Sentinel Group, which has documented these revivals. And the common denominator to every revival is prayer. It is a small to medium-sized group of dedicated, diligent, ceaseless intercessors who will not give up, crying out to God for the change that needs to happen, and God brings the change. And he's seen them, and he's heard them, and that is the common denominator. So he's going to help tell stories on Thursday night of worldwide revival that's just amazing, that will, that will get us hungry for what God can do and hopefully reignite a passion in us that says that is happening. It can happen. And continue to cry out to God, why not now and why not here? So I forgot to mention that. But, yeah, and it takes a lot of planning. You're absolutely right. Thank you for noticing that. We've been working on this since even before July when Doug and Margie asked us to step in. And it's been a constant flow of activity, um, everything from registrations to coordinating food because we provide two meals we provide uh, Friday lunch and dinner on site at the church. And so there's caterers and travel and all kinds of details, but man, it's all worth it because we want to bless the church and we want the church to be a blessing to the rest of the world when they lead through their prayers. Yeah, so um, and we've been obviously, just by the things you've been saying, you obviously um, see and, and know of an importance um, in praying. And so... Uh, I think that uh, a lot of people um, may may go the opposite route um, if they haven't really examined this this uh, if they haven't really thought about prayer they might say well hey I, if there's something I could do about it I'm just going to get out there and I'm going to you know go into the community and and why sit sit there and pray about it you know that's kind of sometimes people's viewpoint they they'd rather just go and do something instead of just you know sitting back and, and praying. But what are the dangers of not um, prioritizing prayer in our lives? What you know, if if someone overlooks that? Oh yeah, absolutely. 
we every encounter with God is inextricably linked to prayer. I, I really, I, I'm going to try to be both bold and cautious in the way I word this, but it, I don't think that outside of a belief in concepts or a historical figure, I don't know how you can handle belief in Jesus and not pray in some way. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, recognize the need for that encounter and be in the struggle of getting to a deeper prayer life. Because to know someone, it, it absolutely demands communication. I wouldn't think of standing at the altar and saying, I do, with my wife, and then walking out of her presence and never communicating with her ever again. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I think that we've also limited what prayer is. I think that there are, some re- there are many reasons we don't pray. And we're gonna, we just want to continue to encourage the church as well in getting beyond those things. You know, part of it is time. We so, we so crunch our schedules up with all kinds of activity, and we fail to realize that those things are a choice. At one point in our lives, none of those things were part of our lives. And it's, it's amazing to me the things that we put in this column as non-negotiable that really truly are negotiable, that if we would just take a good long look at our lives and and ask over and over again, is that really necessary or have I just crowded my life up? Um, Not even counting the discussions about time spent on social media, television, other forms of entertainment, that we blindly give to that if we're Mm -hmm. just honest. Yeah. And, And so then that begs the question, what are we receiving from that that we think we're not receiving from prayer? And that's where we we misunderstand prayer. If we understood it as relationship, if we understood it as God having the need or the supply for every need that we have, if we understood it as the tool to change us spiritually, because if you go before God in prayer and there's unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart about something, the same Jesus that said, if you don't forgive those who have done wrong against you, your Father in Heaven is not going to forgive you. You can expect to be dealt with on that. And that's okay. That's God's grace and love. But I think sometimes it's an avoidance. If we don't pray, it's because maybe there's some unclean thing in us that we know the gig will be up with if we come before Jesus. Yeah. So there are a whole host of things. And that's just the tip of the iceberg with the reasons. There's a lack of understanding. We've, we've not been taught well about it. Um, and But once you experience, this is where I'm, you know, we, we've got to have an experience with God. We've got to have an Isaiah experience where he sees God on the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple. And he cries out, woe to me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. There's a huge revelation that happens to him that causes him to fall on his face and say, woe to me, even though he's a good man. And I think that that kind of encounter with God, you know, the closer you get to the throne, the closer your face gets to the floor, breeds a life of prayer in us that nothing else will. There's no amount of cajoling or coercion or teaching or convincing. Um, We need an encounter with the real person of Jesus. And once we do, we will pray without ceasing. And I think that... uh, there's a lot of great people out there, a lot of great intentions who bow their head every Sunday and agree in prayer and give a yes and amen to what the pastor prays, um, or we all struggle with, I don't know what to say. It's because we, we need to get back to discipling people in the depths of prayer, which is part of what we're attempting to do at this summit this year and beyond as we continue, you know, Doug and Margie, myself and others that travel around and want to build up the church. That's, that's our goal. Let us help build you up toward And when we do, amazing things happen. So I don't think we know 
what would happen in this country with a massive outpouring of intercession because we have yet to have that truly massive outpouring of intercession. We yeah. weren't pressing in too hard. And when we engage in that, not hoping for a quick fix because God is sovereign, um, but just hoping to get people praying, we will begin to see what God wants to do. I think he's, he, we wait on him, but I think sometimes he waits on us. And he's patient with us, and he's calling us to him. And I know there are people everywhere that God is speaking to. Um, but we're we're excited about a concerted effort. We're excited about prayerfulness instead of prayerlessness in our congregations. We're we're excited about the idea that churches will pray first and act second instead of act first and ask God to bless their plans on the backside. But we just think that it could really change the tide of ministry in our churches and communities. Yeah, I, I think. Um... That's definitely that, like you said, it's like, well, we know that uh, the prayer will be transformational. Now, we may not know how. We may not, we may not have the uh, what will happen yet. We're gonna have, there may be times where we have to wait uh, for that transformation. Like you say, even on a bigger scale, um, we don't know what would happen if, if everybody came together, uh, was praying for some sort of you know, revival or transformation to occur um, across the nation. Um, as we go back to days of, you know, John Wesley or Whitfield or all those types of things, we look back to those, oh, that'd be great if that happened again. But maybe, maybe you know, we're not as a, as a whole asking for those types of things. And I think um, that goes back to something else that you said, too, of just analyzing ourselves. Each person that's listening to this, you can analyze yourself and, and say, okay, am I, you know, am I a prayerful person or however you want to put it? And if the answer is no, you know, analyze yourself and, and decide and try to figure out why that is. You know, is there something in your life, as Brett had mentioned, that, you know, oh, well, you know, I kind of feel guilty because I, um, you know, when I pray, I think about this thing that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. Well, that's something that you obviously need to deal with. Maybe you, you think, oh, I don't know what to say. You know, there's different reasons, um, but each of those things need to be addressed. Don't, don't use an excuse. Um, to, to, to not pray, essentially, um, to say, well, I don't know. Well, that's even even not knowing what to say, that's not really an excuse because as we've kind of been talking, you can see, you know, going to the prayer summit. I mean, that's a great way for you if, you, if you're one of those people who says that, hey, go to the prayer summit a few days there, you're, you're not really going to be able to have that excuse anymore because you're going to learn these things. You're going to have that tangible experience to go out, um, having that kind of experience. So ask yourself that, um, look at yourself, analyze yourself, and then be willing to invest in prayer because it is transformational, even if you don't know how it will be transformational yet. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I'm gonna, I, I have a, a question about, um, uh, well, let me give you some background and then I'll, I'll get to the question eventually. <laughs> so okay. so my, my background, and I've mentioned this uh, a few times on the show here, um, but there's all sorts of different beliefs out there about prayer and even things that we see um, in the Bible, different statements and, and different people who pray different ways. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, maybe 10 years ago now, I'm bad with numbers, but, but several years ago, a while ago, uh, my brother died when he was 15 of leukemia. And so um, at that time, before that happened, um, I know there were many people praying for him, you know, and, and our church, our local church actually reached out to some other places. So I think all around the globe, there were people praying about him, even people that didn't know him. Um, and I specifically, I don't know if everybody was this way, but I specifically believed, fully believed that he was going to be healed. Um, and so that was kind of my mindset on it. Um, and I thought, well, you know, God's going to do something here that, you know, whether it's through the medical, you know, whether it's through the medicine or just a, a healing, God was going to work, you know, in that way. Um, so obviously that wasn't the case. You know, that was the personal experience of going through that and praying and going through those things. And then it didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. Um, but there are all sorts of, of different statements or beliefs out there that kind of are, are at, at odds with with the personal experience. Um, we, we hear, you know, we read scriptures, you know, that say uh, prayer will move mountains, you know, uh, bring healing, um, whatever we ask in his name, you know, we will receive those types of things. Um, and we have all sorts of different beliefs on prayer as well um, that, you know, go out and, and pray for someone and they will be healed. Um, you know, that, that with enough faith, we can, you know, heal anyone, anything. 
Um, so how do we how do we kind of balance you know these types of statements, even even scriptural things, um, with these personal experiences that you know many of us have had in our lives? And and we you know I could I could give examples of great things too. You know this isn't this is just one area, but when things don't work out. Um, how do we balance these types of types of things together? That's a really good question. I, I I think you could probably produce a whole series of programs on this topic, Josh. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's a it's a pretty deep one, and and this could also be one of the keys that leads to prayerlessness in people. Well, I prayed for this once, and I feel like God didn't answer. Yeah. Um, there's so many things to take into account. One is. Uh, just to address your, your comment about the scriptures, because the scriptures say many things about prayer. There are also times that the scripture describes things as authoritative commands. When Jesus told the disciples to go heal the sick, um, that's an authoritative command. When he told them to cast out demons, that's an authoritative command. When Peter and James stood next to the beggar at the gate called Beautiful and said, Silver and gold we don't have, but what we do we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then they took his hand and he got up and walked. Um, that's a command. They didn't stop and pray. They stopped and recognized that this was this man's moment, and they spoke an authoritative command in the name of Jesus, and things changed. Now, we have to, there's a, there's a whole bunch of layers here. We get confused in our theology. We need a bigger view. Um, sometimes we think of prayer as a, or positive answers to prayer as being one of the benefits of being a believer of Jesus. Now, I kind of say this gently, but if we're honest, I think, and I've witnessed this in churches where I've served, where the mindset kind of is this. Well, Jesus, I signed up for your club. Isn't healing like one of the benefits? Isn't answered prayer one of the benefits of being on your side? Well, I think we need a, a really good understanding in that case of why healing takes place what God is doing in healing, what signs, wonders, and miracles are are for in the first place, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what happens in those in those cases, why does God do it sometimes and not others? Um, the other thing is we need to restore theology. I think there's a whole view that welcomes everything in the scriptures together and makes sense if we welcome it all together and and figure that out. We don't have time to do all that today, but we need to restore theology. Yeah. Sometimes we need to understand the season of history we're in. Um, a good example of this goes to the slaves in Egypt in the nation of Israel, or the nation of Egypt. So the nation of Israel is enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Now just think about this for a second, Josh. This is the year 2018. We're going to rewind the clock back to 1618. Now think about a good chunk of, of time. And for 400 years, imagine that the people that God says, these are my people, are in a spot of oppression, and they could pray all they wanted, and they did during that time. I'm also sure that some of them were like, I was born a slave, and I'm going to die a slave. Why in the world would I cry out to God for deliverance? God had promised deliverance. He told Abraham the time frame. He told him when he was when this was going to happen. But if you're a slave in Egypt and that's all you've ever known, and you're three generations in and there's no family of yours alive anymore that even remembers freedom, are you the kind of person that's going to give up on knowing what God can do because he's not doing it for you at that moment? See, we need a bigger view. Mm. We need to understand, because just like you, I had a loved one die too. Yeah. Three years ago, this upcoming April, my mom died of brain cancer. And we prayed diligently for her. And she prayed. And she is a believer. And she trusted the Lord during that time that he was going to handle everything that concerned her. And she was not healed. She lived a little longer than people with her type of cancer. But after 19 months, her life was taken. But Josh, here's what we have to understand. God used to define himself to the Israelites as, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Once the Exodus event happened, he would come to his people through the prophets and say, I am the God who delivered you from the hands of Pharaoh. He's talking to them, you. They they owned the whole story as multiple generations. The miracle wasn't just for that person at that time. The miracle was for the people, all of them who came before and all of them who would come after. 
and we as grafted in branches into the nation of Israel through Jesus, as believers in him brought in, the Gentiles brought in, we own the miracles. My mother died of cancer, but I serve a God who heals cancer. Your brother died of leukemia, but we serve a God who heals blood diseases like leukemia. I, I have had people in my life that I didn't think it was their time to go, and they died. But I serve a God who raised Lazarus from the dead. And mm-hmm. ultimately, we see people die every day, and we still cry out to God because death is the last enemy to die. But we serve a God because Jesus Christ got up and walked out of that grave and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You're beginning to understand what I'm saying. Yeah. We, we worry about whether or not we get our miracle moment but we serve a God who does miraculous things. The other thing is, is why? I just want to address one other thing, because this could really get lengthy, but it's the why. Whenever we see Jesus healing in the scriptures, he did it to attest to the fact that he was the Messiah. And whenever we see the disciples having miraculous powers, it was to bring attention and attest to the reality of Jesus as Messiah. It all points to him. Every sign, wonder, and miracle that came before Jesus pointed to him coming. Every prophetic word given, every amount of power, every miracle, it all pointed to Jesus. The whole deliverance in Egypt was a mirror of Jesus delivering his people. Walking through the Red Sea was an image of baptism. It all pushed forward to Jesus. Jesus did miracles to attest to his glory, and the Pharisees said he drove out devils by the hand of the devil. And Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. So his miracles attested to his reality. He drove out demons by the finger of God. He spoke the words of God, and God honored them. He rose the dead. He did all of these things. He did so many miracles. In fact, Scripture says they couldn't even all be recorded. There's none of paper. And everything after Jesus points to Jesus. Now, I I just want to throw this thought out there. Is our... What is the motivation for looking for miracles, signs, and wonders today? And I am a firm believer they still happen, and I am crying out to God regularly to keep releasing them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The disciples were beaten after healing the man at the gate called Beautiful, and as they were leaving, they went back to the people, and the people entered a prayer meeting. They didn't pray to be delivered from their oppressors. They didn't pray for their personal needs. They prayed for power and for God to release that power through signs and wonders and miracles to give testament to Jesus. And they went out and spoke the word boldly, and God did those signs and wonders through them. I believe that's what we're seeing in other parts of the world. When we are seeing the dead raised and people healed, it's bringing people to faith. Now, these people who are coming to faith might be sick themselves, but they now recognize God is real. You know, Lazarus yeah. was raised from the dead, but he's not here today to tell us about that event. He died again. Yeah, I was just going to say that same thing. <laughs> the woman with the issue of blood, the blood stopped flowing, but one day she died. Yeah. She's not here to tell us about that miracle. See, these were evidence. These are to say that the God who spoke creation into existence can speak, and creation that he created can be manipulated by his powerful word. And I believe that God engages our voice in it. I believe that he calls us like deputizes us, if you will, as disciples with power and authority, but we need to understand what it's for, how it works, and why it works, and instead of sitting around clamoring before God or refusing to pray because we think that we we joined the Jesus Club and now we should get the Jesus benefits of the Jesus Club, and why didn't I get my miracle? We need to begin to say, even if I don't get my miracle, I serve a God of miracles. And God, I want your word to go forth and Jesus to be glorified. And if you pour forth miracles through me, I'll see people healed. I don't care if I get mine or not. I don't care if I'm crucified upside down like Peter. I don't care if I sit in prison like Paul. I don't care what it is. I will murder myself, but you pour your power through me and watch the kingdom of God. There's a big difference between God do something for me and God do something through me. Now, does that mean we don't pray for the sick? Not at all. We pray for the sick. Does that mean that we don't, uh, you know, we just wait or or paralyzed or don't do these particular things Jesus said? No. We pray and never give up. we got to talk about the parable of the persistent widow. We go before the unjust judge and just keep being the squeaky wheel until the grease pours out. God said he will bring justice. When? 
All the Israelites didn't see it for 400 years. I think you're getting the picture. We've got to bring it all into the space and talk about it. We need a solid, good, restored theology of healing, signs, wonders, and miracles, God's sovereignty, seasons of history, um, the, the past miracles are our miracles. We all own them. And that this isn't about benefits. This is about evidence that Jesus is alive. Mm-hmm. And if we begin to see that, it'll transform the actions of the church because of the belief of the church. And I think we will see more miracles poured forth instead of so much doubt and wondering and questioning. Yeah. Yeah, that's just that that simple thing. Well, seemingly simple, but maybe harder in practice to change the perspective of it. Um, but when you analyze, it's again, goes back to that idea that we talked about earlier analyzing yourself now there are people who who say who answered that first question earlier that I, that I put out there saying like yeah okay yeah I do pray okay now those who do pray you could ask yourself that additional question of okay well you know your prayers what are they like are they are they you know are you asking for stuff for yourself is it always about what you you need or you think you need or is there a bigger uh, goal in mind you know is that that perspective of 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 what your prayers are about and like you said it's you know, there you could do a talk for a long time about that, and, and there's a lot of study that can be done into that. And I mean, we could go through all these different stories. Um, but again, um, I think that that's a good question for each of us to ask ourselves: of what kind of prayers are we engaging in? Um, and and when we change our perspective on that, um, it may answer those questions that we have of, well, I pray this all the time and it never happened. Why not? Well, if we change our perspective into what prayer even is, even answering that question differently, we may find some of those questions not necessarily being important uh, or less important than they were before. Um, you got it. Absolutely, Josh. That's well said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to hear more, and of course, the, the big event is coming up next month already. It's not too late for anybody who's listening um, to you know, still sign up and, and uh, make sure you do it soon with the hotels. You, know, you want to make sure you get your hotel room. You don't have to be you know, farther away or something, but uh, make sure you get signed up, and, and uh, hopefully everybody will uh, meet up there in, in, in Michigan next month. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Josh. It was a great joy to be with you on your program today. And again, just to remind folks, there is still time to register. If you're intending to and haven't yet, please do. It's at npmfmc.org slash nps. And hopefully we'll see everyone at the National Prayer Summit. Definitely. I'll put a link to that registration in the show notes. You can click on that uh, in this episode. And um, we will definitely revisit um, on a... On a future episode probably in March we will revisit some recaps hear some stories uh, from people who were there and uh, get an idea of what happened after the event so thanks again for being on with us thank you appreciate it alright we'll talk to you soon